have your Bibles open to First uh, Timothy chapter six, it's where we are. We're um, we're making our way through the final chapter of the book. Um, after this week, we have two more weeks. We'll spend a total of eighteen weeks in the book of First Timothy, and then we're going to dive into the book of Second Timothy, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, while you're turning there, or in your devices, or whatever you read your Bible in, last week we uh, talked in one part of the sermon about. Um, the idea of making meaning in your job, and that's been something that uh, kind of has stirred a lot of conversations this, this week with many of you who have jobs where you, you, you kind of felt like there's not a lot of meaning in your work and um, you're more about just doing what you're told to do. And so it's been a challenge for you to think about how can you bring meaning to your job? How can you um, use your job to be a place where God is glorified and where the gospel is forwarded? And uh, I kind of want to just talk about that for a minute before we move on because I think it's important to a lot of us. Um, last week I'd mentioned that uh, I was having some, um, some pain in my legs. I think it's just from running too hard. And I went to a, a physical therapist and so kind of saw, saw him and worked on that. And they said, you know, you're going to do some exercise and stuff. And so I did that, but the pain just kept getting worse. And so last Wednesday I went in and uh, they worked on me a little bit more. And when they were done, they said, you know, we don't think it's your uh, muscle. We think it's, we think it's bone. You know, we think you might have stress fractures in there or something. And so you really need to go see your doctor and, you know, get that figured out. And so anyways, I, you know, went home and called my doctor and, you know, like a lot of doctors who are really busy, she had a lot going on and I uh, wasn't able to get in right away. So anyways, I, um, just worked out. We have a really good friend of ours who um, goes to church here and who is a doctor and um, really trust her. And so anyways, just really blessed because I called and left a message, you know, like, hey, I'm in need, you know, if you've got an opening. And anyways, her assistant called back and said, we can get you in the next day. And so I went in just really grateful for that. Now, I, I tell you, I have friends who are doctors and I love doctors. I don't like going to see doctors when they're doctors. Um, it always makes me a little bit nervous, you know. So I was anyways a little bit nervous in the first place about going in. So went in and, you know, met with her. We talked about some stuff. And then, um, and then I got some x-rays and came back in and then we looked at x-rays and talked about options and you know we just talked about stuff and I you know I'd been looking things up and kind of anticipating what might happen and we talked about some different ways that they deal with some of this stuff and you know we talked about it, it, with two legs it's always a bit of an issue it's a little more complicated so you know we talked about things they do like you know casts and and crutches and you know all that stuff and the whole time we're talking I'm just in my mind I'm just thinking oh you know, I don't want to do any of these things, you know. They're just, like, going to slow me down. And, you know, how do you run with crutches? Like, how do you know, how do you do this stuff? And, and anyway, so we're, the whole time we're talking about this, and then we kind of settled on, like, oh, well, you know, so let's try a boot, and we'll, you know, and try that for a while and see how that goes. And I think more than anything else, just kind of to slow me down, you know, and which <laughs> it's done. And, um, but anyway, so the whole, through the whole conversation as we're talking about it, I just really frankly in my own mind, and I think maybe some of you can um, relate to this, I'm just thinking like, it, it sounds like a great plan, but my concern is that I'll do what I always do. I'll do, in fact, what I did this last week. Like, I'll go in and I'll get some help, and then I'll have like a couple of days where I feel okay, 
And then I'll be like, you know, I could just like go run like just a little bit, right? Just like take it easy, just do like a little run, a little jog. And then, and then as I explain, I know this just sounds really sad, but in fact, I did that on Thursday and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go for a little run. And so I went for a little run and then, and then it was, everything was fine until like, some punk like was going to pass me <laughs> and I was like oh no you're not and that's when everything went that's when everything went south and so honestly my my big thing is I just like I don't trust my I just really trust myself in a lot of those situations too so anyways we we talked about everything and you know she said well we come back in a few weeks and we'll take x-rays again and see how it's going and stuff so we're walking out of the office and I'm just thinking to myself well this is this is all good and you know but I just I don't know and then as we were going out, she said, you know, let's go back in for a minute. I'm going to tell you a story. And so we went, went back in the office and sat down, and, we, and she told me a story. And, and the, the upshot of the story was this. Like, this is basically what I heard, was <clears throat> um, you, can, you can either take care of it now, right? So it'll be inconvenient for a while, or you cannot take care of it now. And then maybe it'll be something that will turn into something way bigger that you'll be sorry for for years to come because you didn't just take care of it now. And then we left the office again for the second time. Now, here's why I tell you this. Because I think that maybe you have, as I know I have over the years, been to doctors who, they're busy, they have a lot of patients, they have a lot to do. But you kind of went in and they helped you with the problem and you went on your way. But how often have you gone to the doctor and felt like, like you were ministered to? Like um, they really cared for your soul. Like you had a doctor who actually loves you and cares about you and when you left, you felt like, yeah, I really, really got what I needed for my heart, my soul. Now, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor, and that's part of what I do. Uh, but when someone does that with me, you know what I mean? It's very, very meaningful, and it made me think as I left, oh, that's, see, she's doing exactly what God wants her to do. Her, her job is her ministry. She's making meaning where she is. And you know, as well as I do, that when you're in a tough situation, when you're in a medical situation, sometimes you just want help. But when you get even more than help, when you get somebody who really cares for you, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's pretty meaningful. That's, that's powerful. Now, to me, just kind of the interesting thing was um, later that evening, my wife and I, uh, we met over in Vancouver and we needed to go to Costco. And so I thought, well, you know, I can go to Costco and cruise around a little bit and give the boot a try, you know. So we were kind of walking into Costco. And as we were walking in, there is a, a lady from Gateway who works there and she often works at the front door. So if you go to Costco, you know who I'm talking about, right? In fact, is she here? Uh, oh, there you have. So here's the thing about Lynn. I'm telling you, you walk to the front door and Linda's there and she comes up and she hugs you and you think, this lady loves me. Like, this is like, who greets you at Costco that way every single time? Like somebody who's, who again, once again, I'm like, here's somebody who has made her job her ministry, right? So in that same day, I'm like feeling blessed. I'm like, I went, you know, I went to the doctor and I just felt loved and I went to Costco and I felt loved and I thought, you know, you know what? It doesn't, no matter what you do, whether you stay home with your kids, whether, you know, you're making coffee at Starbucks, whether you're, you know, working, pushing paper in an office, whatever you're doing, you realize that, that you have the potential to make a difference in the lives of people <clears throat> around you. And, and, and this is, See, this is what God has for us, that, that we would take the gospel wherever we go and that we, because you never know. You never know when you're with somebody just doing whatever you do, whatever you do, your teacher, whatever it is, you never know how a simple interaction that you might have with someone tomorrow could change their life, how much it could mean to them. 
Well, sadly, this isn't true of all believers. Sadly, it isn't true of everyone who calls himself a Christian. Some people who are Christians or call themselves Christians, they're not interested in, in ministering to others. and uh, they, They've got corrupt motives. And this is where we're picking up uh, in 1 Timothy as we make our way through. Um, some people, when they think of Christianity being a Christian, this is not something that they're doing to honor God, to love God. This is, this is, they, they have corrupt motivation for what's going on here. In verse 5, he tells us this. As we kind of turn a corner in 1 Timothy, he says, speaking of, of men, now remember we talked last week about um, when, when you're at work, do that as unto the Lord, and then we talked about good theology, and now he says, but some men have a corrupt mind, okay? They have a messed up mind. And they, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, he's using godliness kind of sarcastically here, if you will, like there's godliness, like people who are like Jesus, and then there are people who just act like Jesus. They just act like him, right? I'm gonna put on the costume and wear the Jesus mask and I'll have the bumper sticker and all that stuff, but these are people who are not interested in, in being like Jesus or serving people. These are people who see Christianity as a way to make money. They see the church as a place to make business contacts. They, they, they see, and part of what he's talking about here, is people who get involved as leaders in the church, and their whole goal is just to get rich. It's just to make money. It's not about ministry. It's not about the gospel. It's not about prayer. It's about financial gain. They think, if I get in a church, if I lead a church, I'm going to get rich. Now, you may say, well, that sounds insane. Like, who would do that? And yet, the world is full of people who are leading churches and they're pretty much in it for themselves. They're in it to make money. Now, I was doing some research and you can, you know, there's, <laughs> unfortunately, it's easy to find churches where you just scratch a veneer a little bit and it becomes pretty obvious what's going on there. I was looking at one guy this week who's, who's pretty well known as a pastor. If I told you he was, you might know. Um, I'm not going to use his name because it's not really the point. Uh, there's a lot of churches with, with leaders who are like this guy. But I went to his church's website and on the cover, this is what it, now this is what it says about what their church is all about. And he's pushing his latest uh, teaching series, book, video series. He says success, now this is on the front cover of your church's page. What would you put there? He puts success, so that's the first word. Success is born out of being able to see with your imagination what may not yet exist. This is a whole line of kind of huckster Christianity that's out there. But it's just saying this. It's kind of like if your mind can, you know, can visualize it right, then you'll, that's kind of what this is about. Now he says this, in the, in the four-message series I'm doing right now, which is called Imagine That, Meditating for Your Success, he says, I explain that a believer's progress comes out of the imagination. It doesn't come out of the grace of God. It doesn't come out of the cross of Christ. It doesn't come out of the word of God. He says your success comes out of your imagination. Your imagination. Do you get where this is going here? Are you tired of seeing yourself broke? Are you tired of seeing yourself sick? Are you tired of being depressed? If so, I encourage you to meditate on God's word. Now that sounds good. And there's always these kernels of truth in here. Meditate on God's word and allow it to paint a picture in your mind of what you want. It's kind of weird wording, isn't it? If, if you can imagine it, God will give it to you. Now are you get in the picture here? Who's really God? Who's really calling the, the shots in the church? It's you. You've got to tell God, poor God, he's in heaven like, I don't know what to do today with all my omnipotent, omniscient power. Well, you need somebody to tell him what to do. He says this, what you believe God for, he will give to you. Can I just tell you that that is doctrine from the pit of hell? 
All right? What you believe God for, because poor God doesn't have a will for you, right? He will give to you. There's a little bit you need to know about this pastor that it, they won't tell you on his website. He owns two Rolls Royces, a private jet, a private jet, all right? A um, $1 million home in Atlanta, a $2.5 million home in New Jersey, a three and three quarter million dollar home in Manhattan. Nobody knows what he makes because he won't disclose his salary to the church. Now, we talked about that and how that works a few weeks ago. The driving force, though, in a situation like this is not what will glorify Jesus in my church. It's what will bring more people to my church. Because what will bring more people to my church will bring more money to my church. The more financially successful my church is, this is the bottom line, the more money they're going to pay me. And that's what this is about. Now, it's important for you to understand, sometimes when, I don't know if you've ever been reading the Bible and you're like, it just seems like it goes from topic to topic. And, you know, how do we get from here to here? I want you to notice the progression here. Last week, we ended the message talking about doctrine or theology. Do you remember what I said? Theology. People go, I'm not a theologian. I just love Jesus. Remember what I told you? Theology is Jesus. It's the study of God. Theosology, the study of God. All right, so if you want to know Jesus, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to be a theologian. All right, in fact, what I said was, all of you are theologians, just some of you are better than others, okay? It all comes down to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your theology. Here's what Paul's getting at. Last week, he talked about doctrine. And, and how important doctrine is. And he's trying to help you and I understand a very, very vital truth, and it's this. If you are not content with Jesus, remember, we could just interchange that with theology. If you are not content with your theology, if you are not content with the Lord Jesus Christ, it will lead to a distorted theology. If you're not content with Jesus, it will lead to a distorted Jesus in your mind. You'll start adding to the gospel because Jesus isn't enough for you. You'll start subtracting from the gospel because Jesus isn't enough for you. So what do we do with this? Well, there's a, there's a better attitude. There's a better beneficial attitude to have in verse six, and it's this. But godliness, so again, there's that word godliness, but now he's using it a little differently. Godliness with contentment. Now that's really big, all right? Godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Now, what is, what is contentment? I have it in your notes there. It's, it's, it's satisfaction. In the Greek, it means to be sufficient, to have all that you need. It has the idea of, of a person who's unmoved inside by their outside. In other words, the stuff that goes on around them doesn't impact them, right? A person who is, who is content while the world is, is raging and storming, their heart is at rest, now, how does, that, how does that work? Now, Paul's not talking about apathy. Paul's not talking about indifference. He just talked last week about working hard at your jobs. It's not what he's talking about. I, would, I thought a lot about this this week. Like, how many of us could really truly say right now that we are, con that we are content? How many of us could really say right now that the Lord Jesus Christ has so absolutely filled us that he is everything that we need. How many of us could say like, I've got life right now, I'm breathing right now, and that's good for me. Or I'm, I'm single right now, and I, it wouldn't be bad to be married, but I could take what God has for me. Or I'm married, and yeah, I'm content with that. Or I'm content with my car, content with my house, content with my clothes, content with my food. The question would be, are you thankful for that? Are you, are you grateful for that? Are you, are you content 
with that. Are you, the, the bottom line is this, is Jesus enough for you? Is he enough for you? And I, my, my fear is that many of us would just say, well, yes, of course he is. But in our heart, there's anxiety and there's stress because he's not. He's not enough for us. And that's, I think that really strikes at the root of every problem that we will ever have. Every problem we will ever have as Christians. All comes down to this. We're not sure Jesus is enough for us. Now, of course, we live in a culture that makes this very, very difficult, right? I mean, there are businesses that hire advertisers and they don't want you to be satisfied. They don't, people don't pay millions of dollars for commercials, so when it's done, you can say, I don't need that, right? Nobody does. They want to create a need in us. It's been said that advertisers want to get us to spend money we don't have to buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. That's, that's what we do. So we do now. I was thinking about this. Now, I personally, uh, I really like uh, the Home and Garden channel all right i just i like it i like i like house hunters i like property brothers i like love it or list it you know i i now but here's the thing i've watching home and garden television recently has made me think like i think home and garden television is like the love child of home depot and and lowe's and and mortgage companies and furniture makers and paint companies i i could think all these companies sat down one day and said how can we get more people to buy our products? We can't just have a television station that shows nothing but commercials. No one would watch that. But what if we had half-hour TV shows and the whole purpose of that show was to make you realize that those granite countertops are so 2009. What you need is quartz, right? Now, how could we do that? Well, we could have an, a half-hour TV show that does nothing but, but try to build discontent in you and then we'll have commercials that will help like, oh, here's how to solve that problem. So really, it's just a commercial that sets you up for a commercial. It's just absolutely sheer genius to get you to be dissatisfied with your home, to get you to be dissatisfied so you'll buy some paint and appliances and furniture and flooring and, you know, put in a brand new kitchen. And, and part of this is our culture wants you to tie your self-esteem to the things that you own and how much money is in, is in your checking account and, and to what kind of kitchen countertops you have, you know, and, uh, and, and to what kind of flooring do you have? What, you have carpet? Oh, you can't have carpet, right? You can have like wood floors and you can't have the fake stuff. You can have the, you have the good, good stuff. What kind of car do you drive? What kind of car? And, you know, what are the labels on your clothes? So I, like back in 2007, I needed a, I needed a vehicle really bad because I was driving this old minivan. It was like a 13-year-old uh, minivan that would only, I couldn't get it out of first gear so I could like drive down E Street, but that was about it. And so anyways, I started looking for vehicles. And as my wife will tell you, nothing is simple with me. And so like I started researching. I actually took like a year and a half and I'm researching and I'm like, oh, I think, you know, maybe you want to buy a Toyota or maybe you want to buy a Subaru or whatever. But the problem was when I really looked at all of it, it was all too much money for me. I, I really couldn't justify spending the money and looking at all this. And then I remember at one point somebody saying, well, you know, have you looked at 
when they had, they said, you know, have you looked at like a, a Ford? You know, now I kind of scoffed. I was like, because when I grew up, all right, only, you know, like only people who had low self-esteem drove Fords. Uh, you know, like you had to hate yourself to, in my town to drive a Ford. And, and I, you know, Ford, because Ford stood for, when I grew up, like fix or repair daily, right? Or found on road dead, right? So anyways, that's like that. So I remember one day looking and doing some research and they just come out with all the latest, you know, all, you know, uh, quality ratings, all this stuff. And the Escape, which is kind of like the perfect size I was looking for, actually beat out every other vehicle in its class that year in terms of quality and maintenance. And I'm like, well, that, and it cost like way less than anything else. But I kept thinking, oh, but it's a, it's a Ford. And then they, I was like, there, there was a deal that had a special one day, you know, a loss leader, and it was white. So then I was like, oh, it's a Ford and it's white. Everyone's going to think I work for like Progressive or, or I work for the gas company or whatever. And, you know, so then I, anyways, I got it. And then I'm like, I didn't really want anyone to know that I bought it. And I called my dad one day and my dad's like, oh, what are you doing? You know, what did you do today? Oh, I bought a car. Well, what'd you buy? I bought a Ford. And I could just kind of hear it in his voice. Like, you know, where did we go wrong? Uh, you know, like, mm, why didn't you buy an FJ Cruiser? Then you'd be cool, you know. But see, here's the thing. Here's why I tell you this. Because in our culture, contentment is tied to what we own and to our circumstances and to our wealth. And here's what Paul's getting at. Okay, this is really, this is, this is so important. He's just trying to tell us this, that contentment will only ever come from one place. Only one place, and that place is a relationship. That's it. Paul said this, and Paul knew what he was talking about. I have learned. It didn't come naturally for Paul. He learned. Right? I have learned to be content. I've learned it. I've learned it. It took me years. I had to be, I, I had to be in you know, all sorts of different situations. It didn't come easy. I learned it. To be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. Yeah, I know what it is to have plenty. There was a day Paul was rich. There was a day Paul was poor. Been in both those places, he says. I've learned. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I've learned it. I've learned it. It's a secret. I've learned it. What is it? What's the secret? He says, whether well-fed, whether hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want, I can do everything. Where do I find contentment? In him. In him who gives me strength. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying don't get a job, don't make money, don't save money, don't buy a house, don't get a vehicle. I'm not saying that. What Paul's saying is this. Whatever God puts in your hands, could you just be thankful for that? Could you just, whatever God gives you, could you say, I get Jesus and. Now, I have Jesus and that's enough. That's enough for me, but I get Jesus and some of this stuff. But my contentment comes from Christ and everything else is like frosting on the cake. Can you thank God for that? Can you appreciate God for that? If God, and then if God gives you something else, can, you can thank him for that. And if he doesn't, could you be thankful for that? And it almost sounds un-American, doesn't it? To just go like, well, I'll just be happy with whatever I have. And America will be like, well, you're a slacker. What's wrong with you, you know? Even our government wants us to buy more, buy more, buy more. Because that's what keeps the government afloat. Notice what he says here. We brought nothing. So let's just think for a minute. Let's just be logical. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now that's pretty profound. Think about that for a minute. We work, we work, we strive, we strive. We're stressed. Nothing's enough. We never feel content our whole life. We're, we're almost drowning in blessings and we're never happy. And then he says, and here's the irony. Here's the big joke. You didn't bring anything into the world, and you're not going to take anything out of it, right? What did you bring into the world? 
only what the good Lord gave you, right? That's all you brought into the world. What have you received since then? Only what God has given you. What will you take out of this world? You, will take, you won't take the money. You won't take the flat screen TV. You won't take the quartz countertops. You won't take your home. You won't take your cat. Praise God. You won't take any of those things, all right? You came into the world naked. Think about this, in fact. You came into the world naked, but you won't even leave with that, will you? You won't even leave with that. What will you take with you? Here's what he's saying. There's only one, there's only one thing you can take, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that you can take with you. And if you don't have that, you have nothing. You have nothing. And here's the question. If having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is all you need when you leave this earth, why isn't it enough when we're on this earth? Why? In verse 8, but if we have food and we have clothing, in fact, that word in the Greek, it means covering. And it has the idea probably of clothing and shelter. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with, with that. Now, here's where we go. But it's not the clothing I want. But it's not the roof I want. But it, they, they don't have the labels I want. They're not the colors or the fit that I want. I want different clothes. If you, if you got up this morning and you opened up your closet and you had to actually make choices about what to wear today, I mean, you know, how many of you got up and you opened the closet and you're like, okay, I know I need to put on some pants, but I'm not sure which one. I have choices. I have like, you know, several pairs of pants. I don't know what shirt to wear. The orange, the red, the black, the white, the green. Which one should I wear? See, here's the irony. We get up in the morning, we look in the closet, and, oh, I, oof, I have nothing to wear, right? I don't know which one of nothing to wear, right? And then here's the, here's the irony, and we're stressed, and we're conflicted about what to wear today, and the irony is that we're, we're actually getting robbed of the joy of going, I get to choose what to wear today. I have a pair of pants to wear to church. That's a good start right there, right? And then I have, like, shirts to choose from. But instead of having joy over that, we're like, oh, I wish I had a different shirt. I wish I had a different pair of pants, you know. I, last weekend after um, the Sunday services, my family and I went to, uh, there's a, some good friends of ours who live in Saudi Arabia and they're here in town. And so we were going to go to eat lunch. And w so we thought, well, let's go to, they're like, you know, want to go to Los Dos? And we're like, let's go to Los Dos Dos because in our town we have two. We have a Los Dos and a Los Dos Dos. So we'll go to Los Dos Dos because um, it's not as busy. And so we went there, got there, sat down, and uh, I was really hungry and I opened up the menu. All right, have you been there? All right, I don't know how big their kitchen is, but they have over 120 entree choices. 120, I'm like, how big is the kitchen back there? You know, like, like how many, and it's, you know, really, in reality, it's probably like eight different ingredients they just put together differently. But I remember looking at the menu and thinking to myself, what do I want today? What do I want? Do I want number 98? Do I want number three? And I'm like looking at it, when in reality is I could have probably ordered anything, anything on the menu, and it would have been great. It would have been just fine. But I did what a lot of us do. But I got to order just the right thing. I wonder what I'm, what I'm, do I want fajitas today? Because it could ruin my day if I order right the wrong thing. And it, what was ironic to me is that in most of the world today, if people had one menu choice, that would be pretty exciting for them. I was listening to a program this week about Syria and a group of high school kids who, um, who are refugees right now. And they decided that they wanted to finish their, they wanted to graduate from high school, even though their country is just a huge mess right now. 
right now. And they were driven out of their town. So they wanted to go back home to their town that's war-torn. And they wanted to take their finals and graduate from high school. And in order to do so, they had to basically live as refugees and study. And then they would have armed guards who would take them to the town. And hopefully that would be okay. But for, a whole, for, for two weeks before they went, this is what they lived on. For two weeks before their finals, they would go out and pick grass in the field. And then they would put some spices on the grass. They would eat, they would eat grass, Bermuda, you know, at, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No menu choices. The funny thing was, I didn't hear him complaining at all about that. You know, but for us, right, we get up in the morning and we're so stressed. I don't know what to wear. I don't know what color am I today. I don't know what cereal to have. Or should I have yogurt? Should it be fruit on the bottom, fruit on the top, all mixed up? I don't know. It's like a huge decision. And, you know, when I think God's almost in heaven going, for Pete's sake, just eat your Cheerios, put on your pants, get in your Ford, go to work and praise God, you know? <laughs> why, can't, why can't you just do that? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We love money. Okay, we love money. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Here's what he says. People who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. Oh, this is a warning and, and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that, that, that plunge men, that plunge people into ruin. He's not saying people who are rich. Okay, there's nothing wrong with being. If God, God has made many men and women rich and there's nothing wrong with that if it's God's will. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to be poor. He's talking about people who want to get rich. Not, he doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He's just saying your desire. What's your desire? What's your heart? People want to get rich, or we could say people want to get richer, right? Rich or richer. See, the Bible isn't against being rich. What the Bible's worried about is how you get there, right? If you got rich by putting God first, if you got rich by being generous, if you got rich by working hard and having excellent ethics, then good for you. And you should enjoy that. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. If you got rich because it's God's will. But if you got rich because you loved money and you pursued money and you used people and you loved money, then shame on you. He says, that's a problem. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation. Now, the, what he's saying here is that the desire to get rich will open up a door of unique temptations to you. Unique temptations that the idea is they are powerful they will they will drag you down this is the kind of trap that satan tried to set for jesus and the temptations he took him up on a hill he showed him all the kingdoms of the world he said all those riches could be yours jesus if you'll just worship me now the irony is that satan doesn't own anything of true value nothing but if you play by his rules if you put money first if you love money he might give you earthly temporal wealth which remember you won't take with you but instead of making you happy and content, what you'll find is that that money, that when you love money and you get money, it doesn't lift you up. It only weighs you down. It doesn't give you freedom. It only becomes a prison. And you'll have to work for it and you'll have to use people for it and you'll have to repair it and upgrade it again and again and again. And he says it plunges people into ruin and destruction. The, the word plunger has the idea of a ship that's so loaded down with gold, right? This is the picture. A ship that's so loaded down with gold that it sinks to the bottom of the ocean. What good does that do anyone? Instead of lifting you up, right? And how many of us think money will lift me up, right? Your desire, though, drags you down. And instead of pursuing Jesus who will add to your life, you pursue things that will actually take away from the quality of your life. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, no one can serve two masters. No one. Either will hate the one and will love the other. All right, he'll be devoted to the one and will love the other. Here's what he's saying. He says, you, 
you can't serve two masters. And then he, here's his point. You cannot serve, you cannot love, you cannot pursue both God and money. When you think of God and money, let's just think of them on, on the polar opposites, all right? Now remember, it's not that money's bad, but, when you, but this is about what you love, all right? When you love money, uh, then you can't love God. Jesus isn't saying, don't try to love money. Or he's not saying, it's hard to love money and God. He's saying, plenty of people have tried and every single one has failed. Everyone has decided, I can love God and money has failed every single time. You can't love both at the same time. You can't pursue money and have intimacy with Jesus. Now, if God blesses you with wealth, you can be grateful for that and content with that and use it to serve him and spread the gospel. God has put people in our church who he has made relatively wealthy. And I love, I'm so inspired by seeing how those people practice generosity with what God has given them. I praise God for those people. But not everyone is like that. The only reason they're like that is because they don't love money. They love God. But he says this, for the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. This doesn't say that money is evil, right? doesn't say it. Instead, what it says, it's the, it's the love of money. It's not money, it's your heart that loves money. Money is neutral. Money is just a tool to demonstrate what's important to you. That's all it is. It's like a loudspeaker that plays whatever tune is going on in your heart. Now, a heart that loves God will do amazing things with money. It will be generous with money. It will be wise with money. It will use it for the kingdom of God. But a person who loves money, right, whose heart loves money, that will also be demonstrated. And that money will become, instead of a tool for the glory of God, will become a tool of destruction, See, the problem is not money. It's a heart that loves money. And the heart that loves money is a dangerous thing. It says that it's caused many people to wander from their faith. Think about how tragic that is. A heart that's seeking money cannot be seeking God. And it will wander from the Lord. It wanders from God. Because your heart has no time for God. Your heart has no time for the Word. Your heart has no time for fellowship and being with people. You're too busy making money, using money, spending money. You don't have time for fellowship. You don't have time for church. You don't have time for your family. A love of money leads to many, many griefs and heartaches. It leads to stress. It leads to anxiety and worry. How will I keep it? How will I get more of it? How will I protect it? It leads to disappointment when you find that money actually can't buy, uh, you know, that, and fill up that hole in your heart. It doesn't give you peace. It leads to a dead, disconnected soul. And our, our, our pursuit of money often costs us dearly. You know, usually most people, it means they work more, not less. It means they don't have time for, for church, time for Christ, time for fellowship, time for their family. They can't be generous because if you're generous, then you have less money. I had a person one time actually tell me, not a Christian, but tell me one time, I don't understand. He said, I don't understand why anyone would ever give money to the church or to charity. Because if I, if I give you money, then I don't have that money. That's what he said. And I have less money, right? That's his whole, well, that tells you what's really on that person's heart and what's most important to them. Ecclesiastes 5.10 Great words from Solomon. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is, is meaningless. What he's saying is this. If you want to get rich, here's what you need to understand. Rich is a moving target. Rich is always just a little bit more. However much you have, it's a little bit more. How many of you, when you were young 
had this, had this picture, the, your, your, your target, right? When you were really young, where you're like, here's my target. If I just have a, if I can just have a small little house to live in or even an apartment, and if I could have my own car, that would be awesome. And if I could afford to buy my own food and, you know, that would be great. And then what happened when you got there? You moved the target. Well, I, I need a little more square footage. Well, I need, a, I need a better car. Well, I need to eat at nicer restaurants. And this is what happens when you love money. What you have is never enough for you because it's always a, it's a moving target. I need, you know, better clothes with, with, with better labels and, and, and more choices. You always raise the bar. We need to eat at nicer restaurants, have bigger vacations, upgrade the, the kitchen. So what do, we, what do we do about all this? What do we do about this problem of the heart that, that's just in our society drawn towards money and stuff? And Well, this is, the, this is the last thing. And that is what we need to understand is the power of God's love. So I just want to end here. I want to take you in a place hopefully that will be helpful for you. So, so the message is simple. Don't love money. Okay, love Jesus and love people. We, but we know that. And we talk about that almost every week. We talk about love Jesus and love people. Right? We call it the main thing. What's the main thing in life? To keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing in life? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We read that and go, oh, okay, so there's two important things in life. Love God, love people. In 1 John, he kind of does a beautiful job of saying, well, you can't actually love God unless you love people. And so it's really just one thing. It's all wrapped up in one simple passage. Loving God, loving people can't say, I love God when I don't love people. So it's love. We love God and we love people. And we use money to demonstrate our love for God and people. That's the role of money, to demonstrate that I love God and to use it to love people. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how you use money reveals your heart. It reveals what's important to you. Always does. When I was in college, I, was, uh, I had to pay my own way through college, but granted, college was a lot cheaper back in the Stone Age, but still, I had to like, pay my way through. So I always had a job and didn't have much extra money. And I went to this college where um, I had a, a meal ticket, and it was okay, but every now and then, they would just get these weird, weird combinations of dinners that I couldn't abide. And so on those nights when I'm like, I can't eat at the cafeteria, there was a Burger King around the corner and they had 75 cent cheeseburgers, right? So I'd go and buy a couple of 75 cent cheeseburgers and get some water and that would be my dinner for the night because I didn't have a lot of money. And then my senior year, I started dating Christy. And I didn't have more money when I started dating Christy, but when I took Christy out, I never ever took her to Burger King, never once, all right? When I took Christy out to dinner, I'd always sit down and look at my budget for that week and ask myself, how, what's, the, what's the largest possible amount of money that I can reasonably spend to take her out to dinner? And I would spend every single penny. And you know why I did that? Because she had my heart. Because I loved her. And I, you, money always follows the heart. Always follows the heart. You want to know what you love? Just look where you spend your money. Every single time. Now, I know for some of us, we don't want to believe that. But it's true. It reveals our heart. Now, here's another way to think, uh, to think about this passage, though. I would ask you the question, but what would you, what would you like to love most? So I think for many of us, if we're honest, we'd have to say, well, I don't know that it's God, but I'd like it to be God. I'd really like God to be that. Then here's what you do. Then you put him first with your money. Just put him first with your money. Be satisfied with him. This is where it starts. Be satisfied with him. 
Be satisfied with what he's given you. Appreciate it. Thank him for it. Be generous with it. Enjoy it. This last week I was uh, home one afternoon, sitting in the backyard on my deck. The sun had come out. I was sitting there and I thought to myself, wow, this is cool. I have a deck in a backyard that's attached to a house. I thought that was pretty cool. I had never really thought about it for a while. I have a deck in my own backyard attached to my own house. It's pretty cool. And I, now I was sitting on the deck and the sun was shining and the birds were chirping and, you know, and I was sitting there and I was looking around and I was just, everything was blooming and it was green and the grass and the garden was planted and, and uh, you know, our fruit trees, our fruit on them and I was just, just, just loving it. Because we live in a pretty awesome place, don't we? Northwest is pretty cool. So I'm just enjoying it, enjoying it. And then I look around and I look over on the east side of my property and I see a section of fence that's leaning over. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that ruins everything, right? Okay, I had this beautiful yard and I have a section of fence that's leaning over. I will never be content. And my heart, I started thinking, I've got to get that fixed because there's no way I can sit in my backyard and really enjoy it when I have a section of fence that's leaning over. Now, I was working on the sermon at the time and it got me to thinking, now, could I, could I sit in my yard and look and what could I be able to say, yes, that ain't perfect, but I don't care because I have Jesus and he's filled my heart. And he's given me all the, why would I choose to not enjoy all of this stuff because there's one little section of fence that isn't the way that I like it? Could I say to myself, hey, someday when I get out of the boot, I'll go over and I'll fix that fence. But for now, I'm just going to be okay with it. I'm going to be all right. What is that section of fence for you? What is that thing that is keeping you from just being able to enjoy the life that God has given you? Could you be satisfied? Now, in those moments, in those moments, the choices you make then are huge for two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, what you do in those moments is diagnostic, okay? It, it, reveals, it reveals your heart. It reveals where you find your satisfaction. And for some of us, sometimes what we realize is, I'm not fully satisfied in Jesus until I get that thing fixed or upgraded or whatever it is right? It's a little diagnostic, and it's good for us sometimes to go, ooh, I think I maybe have an issue here. But now here's also a great thing, an important thing about when we're in those situations, and that is it, but it can also be directive, because the choice I make in that moment will influence where my heart's going to move. So if I can look at that section of fence and go, yes, it's not perfect, but I can live with it for now, and if there comes a day when I can go address it, I will. But if I can't, it will not that will not add or subtract from my happiness and the joy of my life. It will not make a difference. Because Jesus Christ is enough for me. If we make the choice, though, to go, I will not be satisfied until I fix that fence, then our, you understand Then your heart is going to go. That's where it's going to go. Now, the bad news is this. When we talk about money and loving money, you, we, just, we need to be really frank and honest here for a minute. The primary cause of your greed and your discontent is not culture, and it's not advertisers, and it's not HGTV, and it's not Best Buy. The heart of the problem is the heart. It's the heart. The heart of the problem is we don't love God first and foremost and completely. We don't. 
And we need to come to the place where we can admit that. Now here's the good news. How do we get beyond that? Now I think oftentimes for many of us, we think here's how I get beyond it. Uh, we get beyond it the same way, well, the, we get beyond it the same way I tried to get beyond my leg problems, right? I just need to try harder. I just need to run farther. I just need to run faster, right? That'll do it. That'll fix it. I'm a genius, right? I could do that. And for many of us, I think that's what we do with God. Well, the pro, the re, okay, I don't love God enough, so I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll get myself all worked up. Here's the good news. That will, that will never, ever make you love God more. You want to know how to love God more? Here's how you do it. 1 John 4.16. We have come to know and we have come to believe. You might underline those words. Know and believe. We've come to know and to believe the love God has for us. Not the love we have for God. The love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Here's what he's saying. God is love. God is that beautiful, undefiled, transforming love. And this is what he says. We have come to know and we have come to believe. What does that mean? Let's talk about know. We have studied it. We have thought about it. We have defined it. We have theology. We understand what it is. God loves us. The cross, the incarnation, the word. We got all it. We got all of it. We know God loves us. Now we believe it. Now we believe that God loves us. The way to grow in your love for God isn't to try harder to love God. It's to believe God loves you. That's where it always starts. We love because he first loved us. You cannot, you cannot love God any more than you understand God's love for you. You can't give back to God what he hasn't already given to you. So the key is this. If you really want to love God and be satisfied in God, then you need to believe in the love that God has for you. Because that, as we said last week, is a transforming love. God's love changes us from the inside out. When you understand, when you can finally sit back one day and take a deep breath with the section of fence that isn't the way it's supposed to be or the boot on the foot, and you can just sit back and say, but God loves me. And ah, if that fence never gets fixed, if I never get out of this boot, Jesus loves me. I'm content. I'm good with that. Until you get to that point, you'll never, ever be able to live the life that God has for you. But when you believe that God loves you, it will revolutionize your life, your self-image, that he washes you clean of your sin, that he's made you a new person, given you new identity, given you joy, given you peace, and you won't need money anymore to make you content. God might give you money, and you can use that money to serve him, but you won't need that money or that gadget or that car or whatever it is. You won't need it. You won't even need a head full of hair. You'll be good with like whatever God gives you, you know, because God is enough for you. Well, I'm going to ask Pastor Bill if he will come up and he's going to uh, pray for us. And then I thought it might be good if we just sang one song to worship God. Because sometimes we get to the end of these things and it's kind of good. Don't you just want to sing to God for a minute? Tell him that you love him. So Pastor Bill, can you pray for us?